Good morning. Good morning. There you are. Okay. If I've lost you already, I don't stand a chance. Come on now. Grateful to have you here. Grateful that you're, if you're a member here, that you came up the hill and you're with us this morning. If you're a visitor, we're especially mindful of, of the effort you made and how weird this might be to be among this group of people. But you've done it, and we're grateful that you're present. And pray that uh, we'll get a chance to see your face, hear your name, and talk to you a little bit, and that you're glad that you've uh, come up our way. Um, I have to give a, a kudos to Paul Thornton today. I mean, uh, the guy, uh, every challenge I present him, he comes. I've got, a, I've got one I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on, on, on a, a really good challenge on him. But this morning, I keep changing his sermon every 10 minutes this week. Every time, I constantly changed it. And this morning, finally, I, I got the slides together that I wanted and sent it to him sometime before 6 o'clock. And I went ahead and brought it on a flash drive because I thought there's no way he'll get this in time. And within five minutes after I sent that email, he sent it back to me all formatted for us. Now that's something, isn't it? He gets up at early in the morning and do this. So now I want to test him. I'm thinking of something in my mind. I want you to put that slide up above me, Paul. Can you do that? Can you think? No? Okay. I just, I, I, when, when you see something like that, you've got to commend it. Remember, guess who's coming to dinner here in a few weeks, two, two, three weeks, the 21st on a Saturday night. And if you can be part of that, please do. Whether you are a guest or a host, we want you to participate in that. And it kinda, it's kind of like taking all the members and shuffling them up and throwing them in places they've never been in before uh, to kind of force some kind of neat uh, uh, connection between us. And so if that sounds exciting, to some of you, it's terrifying. You're like, I don't know if I want to do that. I might be caught with Randall Hooten or something, and I don't know if I can handle that. You, you, you might be thinking that. Do it anyway. Get out of your comfort zone a little bit and get in each other's houses and see the pictures on the wall and everything. Uh, you'd love to do that. Let's sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. This is our last time to deal with a gender issue, and I'm never going to bring it up again for 20 years. So I want you to know, this is it. I'm excited about this. How many have ever been driving and you've never, or maybe I should say this, how many remember the first time you were on a roundabout? Anybody remember the first time you were on a roundabout? A few years ago, Colorado or Oklahoma, I'm not sure which, my father-in-law was behind me. We were in a vehicle, and we were traveling, trying to follow instructions, and we got caught on one of those, and neither one of us, at least I haven't, have ever seen one. And so we didn't really know what it was, and we went around, and we went around, and we went around, and, and we called each other on the cell phone, and I said, how do we get off this? Where do we go? He says, I don't know. Just get off this and try to see if we can figure it out. So it was a big one. It's bigger than anyone. I've seen. And so we pulled off the road and, and stopped, and we figured out what we needed to do. And then we had to get back on it to get out of there. And it was weird. It was strange. And I kept thinking, who thought this was a good idea? Who thought going around in circles was a good idea for a highway? But then a few years ago, Kennett was trying to solve their 412 problem. As 412 goes by Kennett, goes on to Hayti, it's a mess. There's a funeral home right on the right, and getting to that funeral home is terrible. 
And so they, they decided, we're going to solve this with a roundabout. And I, it brought back a flashback of bad memories for me. And I thought, I'm not the only one. The old people in Kennett are going to have a time. And I'm telling you, the best entertainment on Friday night for the first two months was to go set up your lawn chair in the funeral home parking lot and watch the old people go round and round and try to figure that thing out. We sent a few little rescue operations out there, helped them get out of there. It was crazy, and everybody thought, this is a silly way to solve a problem. But you know, after a few years, I love that thing. That's how you keep traffic going, and it's a brilliant thing. But at first, everybody thought it was ridiculous. How in the world did you come up with something like this? I've got to tell you, that's what I feel about this topic I don't have all the answers for this. There are more questions that I know what to deal with, and I'm, and I'm, I'm so intrigued by this that for weeks I'm going to be reading about this from my own self. But I'm telling you, as I look at it, I think it's crazy. I, I don't think it makes sense. And I, I would not have done this the way God did. I'll just say it from the get-go. I'm speaking for him. I feel like, I feel like that guy who's trying to explain President Trump's thinking, you know that guy out there who comes out every day and tries to explain what that recent tweet was, and he's sitting there going, and he's trying to come up with something, right? I feel like that about God sometimes, because there are certain things that he says to us that just don't resonate with me, and I don't understand, and here's one of them, but I'm, I'm trusting the traffic signs, and I want to tell you, while there's a lot of things I don't understand, there are a few that I do, and that's what I preach when it comes to this topic, and to preach it, you got to go to Genesis we already did this a few weeks ago, and I, I regret that it's been so long, but we're going to start in Genesis because that's where this issue comes up. And it's interesting to me that it's almost like day one of our existence, God brought all this up. Day one, let's get this out of the way. I want this to be the foundation. I want you on day one of your existence to understand this. Let's get this set in your mind because it's going, to be, it's going to be what I use, God says, to solve a lot of issues later on. It's the grid of creation. I call it creation theology. Every, a lot of people do. That what God taught us about us in the early chapters of Genesis is necessary to understand how we're to function together and interrelate to one another whether it be in worship or whether it be in our families. We must understand this correctly. But in the reading I've gotten, I've got to tell you, my house is full of piles of books as I've read about this. Melissa's ready for this to be over so we can get our living room back because there's so much being said about this and there's so much raging even in our own brotherhood about this and trying to understand it's confusing. We've got to go back to Genesis, but Genesis what? Genesis 1 says, man and woman created just created in the image of God and they have all these responsibilities and it's just generically spoken out there and if we only have Genesis 1 we just think everything was just boop there it is day six and man and woman but as I said a few weeks ago God slows this thing down and puts it in super slow motion and he puts us a, a camera to zero in in chapter 2 and what you discover in Genesis chapter 2 is that no it didn't just boop like that it was slow it was a long day and early in the day, God created Adam. Adam is the older of the two. Maybe this is why most of the time, men are older than their wives. A few select smart ones of us got the older woman, right? Uh, but, 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 but most of the time, I don't know, but Adam was created for, he's like an only child for a while, okay? 
Then you can sit there, and uh, uh, you're like me when you're reading the story for the first time, or maybe you were told the story the first time. So what? And it is. It's so what? Except that Paul says there is a so what. Paul says that does matter. Paul later on lays the grid of Genesis 2 over these issues and says, guys, this matters. You got man created first, and it's not good for him to be alone, but I'm going to tell you this. While he is alone, there are certain things God establishes before he ever introduces the woman to him. Let's get this right, Adam. You work. You work to provide a home. I'm going to give you the home in this garden, but you work it. You work to provide a home. There's no wife yet, but I want you. Listen, parents, you're raising boys. You're raising men. This is what you say to them before a woman ever comes along. This is stuff that we need to be teaching our sons before a woman is ever introduced to their life. This sermon today is not for my daughter. This sermon today is for my son. This is about males being males. And God says to him, I want you to work. I want you to work to provide for your family. I want you to do something else. I want you to name the animals. I want you to have a special sovereignty over creation. And then I want you to know it's not good for you to be alone. I also want you to know there's a commandment to follow. I want you to listen to me, Adam. There's a stop sign I'm putting up. You can eat from any a tree that you want to. There's no Eve yet. There's no Eve yet. He's talking to Adam. Adam, let's get this straight. Before I bring a woman, I want you to get this straight. There is a stop sign here. You don't eat from this tree. Every other tree you can eat from, but there's a stop sign in front of this tree, and I want you to observe it. And then he says, okay, name the animals, and he names all the animals. He's got sovereignty over them. And then he says, now it's time for you to know, I don't want you to do this alone. I want you to have a helpmate. That's what we call it, right? A helpmate, a helper, suitable for you. Then God puts him to sleep and he wakes up after God takes out of his side a rib and makes a woman. And it's a wonderful union, not a reunion. A reunion is when you see each other again. This is the first time. It's a wonderful union, right? People get a, little bit get a little bit weird about this helper language. Is helper subservient? Is helper lower status? The answer is no. The helper is made out of the same substance as the man, right from him. The helper is right there as also in the image of God. There's no lower status. Later on, God is called our helper. But please understand this, when God says, I am your helper, God is saying to man, I will not do this for you. When God becomes our helper and ever have a present help in trouble, God is our helper, but you still have to live life. When God calls us to do evangelism, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you, but I'm not going to do it for you. And it's the same thing for Eve. With Eve, it's this way. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you someone to help you with your role, but she is not to do it. She is to help you with the role that you've been given. That's Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Then comes Genesis 3. The serpent starts having conversations with Eve. They start this talk. It's probably longer and more words than we get in Genesis 3, but the serpent starts talking to Eve, and Adam doesn't seem to interject himself into these conversations. He's doing his thing. He's over there pruning a bush, but he's right there with Eve. They're together, and he starts, he just kind of doing his own thing. She's having this conversation, and this serpent starts painting this picture of, you know what, if you'll run this stop sign, if you'll run this stop sign and go eat from that tree, you'll be more fulfilled than you are right now. God's just trying to keep you from being fulfilled. 
He's trying to keep you from enjoying fullness of this creation. So what you need to do is run that stop sign. She starts thinking that's a good idea. And she runs that stop sign and she gets the fruit from that tree and she eats of it. And there's Adam right there with her. I don't know, he's a little distracted with this or that or maybe he's doing his job. I don't know what, he's doing certain things. But she says, hey, this is a true, this is, eat this. And he says, okay, all right. And he just eats it. Now let's look at Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, which one you're going to choose, because when you talk about creation theology, the question is, what part of Genesis do you want? In Genesis chapter 3, here's what ends up happening. God comes to Adam and says, you give an account what's happened here. And this is the explanation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, as punishment for this, he says, I'm going to increase your pain in childbearing. God puts that on her. And then she says, God says to him, your desire will be contrary to your husband. You're going to want something you shouldn't have from your husband. You're going to want to take from what should be his. And, she, and he, instead of honoring what he should do, he's going to abuse this. Now here's what I'm saying. And then, and then the very next verse, God says to Adam something very important. Husbands, get this. This is crazy. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to your wife. The moral of the story is no husband should listen to their wife. True or false? And now what God says, because you listen to the voice of your wife, I'm going to punish you. No, no. It's because you listened to her and didn't listen to me that this punishment comes on you. And it curses the ground. There's a Genesis 2 story and a Genesis 3 story, and here's what people are saying. You've got to choose, because this is where the division comes. If you choose Genesis 2, next screen, it establishes God's design. God wants male spiritual leadership, wants him honoring God's command, wants him working to provide a home, wants him to provide for her. That's what God wants, Genesis 2. It's God's will for male spiritual leadership. Genesis 3, this is what others are saying. They say Genesis 3 is where male spiritual leadership begins. It's a result of the punishment that it is a result of a distortion. Because things went wrong, that's where male spiritual leadership came from. That is not true. But where you begin will determine where you end. Are we trying to correct, the, to correct male spiritual leadership as a problem from Genesis 3? Are we trying to reestablish proper male spiritual leadership from Genesis chapter 2? Which one influences how you interpret the rest of Scripture? Because every time this comes up, the grid of Genesis is placed as a solution. But are they putting Genesis 2 up there? Or Genesis chapter 3. My argument is we need to go through Genesis 3 to get to Genesis 2. The rest of history 
paints this picture of men taking Genesis chapter 3, the abuse, the distortion of male spiritual leadership, where men say, we've got the law, we're the boss, we wear the pants, we're going to abuse you, we're going we're gonna to keep you down, we're going to keep you from being able to be all that God wants you to be, we're going to just, we're going to dominate, we are going to abuse. That's what gonna, and that's what history shows, men doing that. Even in the Old Testament you see this, it's terrible. More than one wife, you can't have more than one husband, more than one wife, polygamy and divorce, it was free and all this stuff. And they mistreated women some awful in the name of Genesis 3 penalty. The response we should have is that that's not right, but the response is not to go back to Genesis 1 and say it's all the same. The response is to go back to Genesis 2 and get God's real understanding and expectation of male spiritual leadership. Jesus does this when he comes on the scene. I want to show you some pictures here. You may know what scene this is. We're not looking at what would Jesus do. We're looking at what did Jesus do. There was a woman taken in adultery. You remember this scene, John chapter 8? She and a man were committing adultery, and they bring this woman as a test case. Now, your question should be at this point in John 8, where is the, where is he? They don't care what men do. Men could step out of their marriages, and it wasn't really that big deal. But if a woman did, she needs to be like that, right? Jesus didn't treat her like that. He knew what they were doing, and he said, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's a different treatment from Jesus for women. He starts lifting them back up. He starts giving them renewed dignity and treating them like God originally wanted women treated with, as prized and valued and highly esteemed, and Jesus did it. Next, next picture. You know this one? You know what he called this woman? She, had a, she was subject to bleeding for 12 years. You remember this? And she's all, if I can just go up and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she was. And Jesus turns around and said, who touched me? And everyone's like, oh, nobody. No, there was somebody particular who touched me. And the woman comes forward and tells her story. And he says to her, daughter, you're like my daughter. We've lost this, but do you know how radical it was that Jesus treated women with the kind of respect he did? I think people are bad-talking Paul, and they're bad-talking Jesus, and bad-talking Christianity, and they have no clue what they're talking about. Jesus raised them back up and gave them this incredible value. Now, next screen. You have this woman. You know this. There's a couple of scenes like this. You're going to see it in the next pictures. Anointing Jesus. This sinful woman comes in where they're, they're having a meal, and, and, and Jesus lets her do what she does, and this guy complains about how you got this, uh, this little sick woman who's touching you, and you're not doing anything about it because I'm about to forgive her sin because she's so grateful. Another one comes in with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, and the disciples say, this woman is being so frivolous with this very expensive thing. And Jesus says, ah, she's honoring me. She's, he's lifting women up, guys. I, I, I can't say that enough that what, what Jesus was doing was let's get past Genesis 3, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. When it comes to marriage, they test Jesus again. Can we... Can we bust up our marriage? Can we get rid of that old woman and get a new one? Can we get a younger woman anytime we want to in marriage? And the answer would have been in the Jewish world, sure you can. Just make up something, get rid of her, like like Deuteronomy 24. They want him to appeal to Moses. Moses was regulating a Genesis 3 condition. 
And Jesus looks at him and says, no, you can't do this. Don't you know what God said in the beginning? We're not going to Genesis 3. We're going to Genesis 1 and 2, where God highly viewed and established marriage, and it was to be a wonderful experience for both of them. You guys have been mistreating and abusing women like crazy, and it all stops here. Hope you're like, well, ho-hum, I already knew this. I know you did. But the world is not paying attention. Jesus put women back up where they should be, high on a pedestal as every man should treat their wife. But note something about this. Next picture is Mary and Martha, and you remember this scene where one of them is, you know, it really gets bad when you're so bitter you tell Jesus what to tell somebody else. This woman, tell Jesus she needs to help me in the kitchen. Classic woman's role. She said, I ain't going to do it. He probably didn't say ain't, but maybe he did. I'm not going to do that. She has done the most important thing. She is listening. She's a disciple. She's a learner. And in the first century, to expect or to enable a woman to learn was something revolutionary. And here's Jesus saying, no, she's a disciple. She wants to learn. She wants to soak this up. And that's better right now because I'm in your house. It's better She'd be right here. Notice what women did in the first century. I mean, in the New Testament, you see this everywhere. You, you see them doing all sorts of things. And even in the life of Jesus, they're better followers than the men. They're, at the foot of the, they're, they're right there at the cross seeing the crucifixion. The disciples had scattered. The first one to proclaim the full gospel were the ones there at the, the, at the resurrection morning when they went, he's not risen, or he's risen, he's not here. They supported him financially. They provided for him. They got him better than the disciples did. Mary and Martha got Jesus better than any of the apostles did. And yet, and yet, with all this lifting up of women to where they should be honored, never did Jesus choose a woman to be an apostle. Is that weird? You give me the choices that he had, and there's no way Mary's not in there. There's no way Martha's not in there. They could certainly do better than Judas. Why? Genesis 2. Yes, they need to be treated with great dignity. Women should be valued, but that does not mean that he wants them in these roles. Not because they can't. They're more than capable. It's because they shouldn't have to. Men, on the other hand... When it's time to replace Judas, there's two men here. Didn't even consider a woman for that. Spirit comes in, in, in Acts 2, there's these disciple, uh, apostles preaching. Then you come to chap, chapter 6 where they're thinking there's this problem, there's this quandary with the deacons. Not the deacons, they became deacons. The, with the widows. You've got those original old Jewish women who spoke the original Hebrew language. They're treated better than these more modern widows who speak Greek. And it's an unfair treatment. So what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what I do. I'll tell you what our elders would do. I, I haven't asked them. So don't commit our elders to this solution. I'm guessing. We would set up a committee of women who know women better than men, and we would have them to solve this problem. But that's not what the apostles do. We need seven men full of the Holy Spirit and of truth and of wisdom to oversee this. Why in the world? 
Later on, as Paul's about to leave the scene and he knows that you got 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, his last letters, he's about to depart the scene. And he says, I want to provide for the leadership perpetually of the church. And he has these elder qualities in a couple of places and deacon qualities. And none of those qualities cannot be fulfilled by a woman. Not because women aren't capable of doing it. And I'm going to stress this a hundred times because I don't want you misunderstanding this. Women are more spiritual than men. And I don't care what argument you want to make to it, churches are full of women who are spiritually led, and they are closer to God for some reason, and I can't figure it out, and I don't know why it is, but historically that's true. They would be more than capable, more than able, and many of them more than willing to do this, but God says, I don't want you to have to. Baffling. That's the picture. And so we have, as this slide will show you, we go back to Genesis 2 to honor it when it comes to marriage. And all through the New Testament, the husband has a different role than the wife. The husband has, is being told differently, and in fact, the instructions given to men are longer than the instructions given to women. This was so countercultural, it wasn't even funny, when all the men thought they had all the rights and the women had all the obligations, and Paul had to say, uh-uh-uh, not in the kingdom of God, it's not like that. You men are to lead. You're to be the head of your family. The wives are to submit to his leadership. And these words are thrown around today. But we do premarital counseling. We do this in marriages. A lot of marriages tell me, leave that word out of the vows. I can leave them out of the vows. But you can't lead them out of, leave them out of your obligations that God assigns to marriage. And people don't even know what those words mean. In our culture, it's he makes all the decisions, he's the boss. That's not true. The pattern that we're to honor is in creation, but it's also, also in Jesus and the church. And I'm going to submit this. In our marriages, the number one problem in marriages today is men will not be men. That's what I think our number one role is. You have a responsibility that is a burden, and none of us like it. We don't like this thing. We don't, we don't appreciate it. We would much rather distract ourselves with something else. And men aren't being men. And women who really long for the men to be men can't expect them to, can't depend on them to. And so they end up playing the role of men in the marriage because the guy's off playing video games all the time. I don't know what this means. And cultural expression has messed this up. A woman can work outside the home. A man could be a stay-at-home dad and still honor this. So don't, don't put a bunch of cultural baggage in pictures. There's many ways. A woman can make more money than the man, and the man still be the spiritual head of the family. Those are peripherals. Those are not things established in the word itself. What it means is the burden is on the man to make sure the family has a spiritual atmosphere that's gracious and loving and obedient in every way. Your wives will help, but the responsibility is on you. I say this because we have so many passive young men. And right now in our world, what I find is you go to Harding and you go to Freed, and I hear this all the time. And I, and I, don't, I, I don't mean to be judgmental of people, but listen. There's a bunch of spiritual women out there and there's a dearth of spiritual men who will lead, who will take this. It's a burden. It's not a domination and look, I have a right over you. It's a burden they're supposed to bear for the sake of leading their wives and leaving, leading their children and they don't want to do it and they're a bunch of sissies. 
spiritual sissies. And these women are going around, I want a spiritual man, but I can't find one. I've got to be the spiritual man in this house. You shouldn't have to be. Men, rise up, be men. And the women won't have to. I didn't hear an amen on that one. I get it. Men not distracted by video games can carry on actual conversations face-to-face refuse to be addicted to internet pornography and treat a woman with the respect she deserves. Men who think spiritually about things can evaluate things from scriptural ways, can act on what they discern as the best actions. Men not only who pray in public, but pray in private and then honor and live out that prayer with a submission to a God who loves them and read scripture to know how to compare real life situations to what scripture would have them do. And they back it up with lives that are holy and full of the intent to honor honor the image of God in them and to love and serve and sacrifice for their wives and for their children and if there's anyone who has to sacrifice their own hobbies for the sake of the wholeness and the holiness of their families it's the man it's not your rights that are in this it's your responsibility and your burden that you'll bear the flashback to Genesis 3 The man is so preoccupied, he doesn't know his wife is talking to Satan. And I wonder if this is like comparison today. You are so busy with other things, you don't know what TV shows your kids are watching or what Facebook contacts being made with your spouses or with your kids or what damage is being done at school because you're so busy with other things. Great, you've got a great big company, but your family is rotting. And our women and I feel for them because they are pining after a man who will lead like this, and it's hard to find one. The problem today in the church that is so often with women wanting to take these leadership roles, God's given you your lane. women and men God's given you your lane and you're so busy off-road and having fun you're not honoring your lane and the woman over here who needs that leadership and needs that man to be home has to go into this lane if this lane is going to be done at all while the rest of us go off and play and be boys we need men and that's what Genesis 2 is a call for men Stay, get, get, get in your lane and honor it. And then the woman can stay in her lane and you can go right down this highway that God has paved for you and have this fullness, this integrity. The woman can be an incredible help, a help that you need because you can't, none of the men in here who are spiritual leaders of this church, not one of the men in here could have done it without their wives. None of them. Yes, we are the head, but the wife is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants. So we need the Genesis paradigm in worship, too. God puts it in worship, too. There are different roles to honor. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, Titus 2. Man is the head of the woman. The, the, the version that was read in the, Bible, in the Bible reading is not correct. It's not wife and husband. It's man and woman. 
And the idea here is that in worship, men are to take the lead as a symbol, as a paradigm, as an example of this is what's to happen in our homes too. And so you have 1 Timothy chapter 2, where I desire that men in every place should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Don't, don't get in here and pray when your lives are a wreck, when you're not even trying, not even trying to be holy outside the bounds of the church building. It should be assumed when you're up here in some kind of leadership role that it's backed up by a life that's also striving to be that way. And you're leading your family this way. When your kid looks up and says, dad's praying in public, he never does that at home. Something's wrong. Something's very wrong. To the women, be modest. In in that time, you're showing your socioeconomic differences by the way you dress. It's not about appearances like that. It's about having, bringing lives of good works. And then he goes on to say, a woman should learn. And that's an amazing thing. Next slide. This is an amazing compliment to the women. A woman should learn. No one expected that in the first century. We expect that in the church. Women should learn quietly with all submissiveness. Do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She is to be, be quiet. Adam... He goes to creation. Do you get that? Genesis 2. Adam was formed first. When? Genesis 2. He goes back to creation, lays the grid over it, and here's why. It's not because women are getting out of hand here in Ephesus. It's not because of that. It's because, uh, here's the grid, creation grid. It's because of Genesis chapter 2. It hasn't changed. He says, I want Genesis 2, and I want to correct Genesis 3. Both right there in that 14th verse. This is not all there is to talk about, and we should study this more. But built into God's idea of creation for man and woman is male spiritual leadership, not as a slam to women, but as a motivation to men to be who you're supposed to be. In the church today, it's not a woman problem, it's a man problem. Male spiritual leadership is part of it. It's to be honored in the home and in the church. It's a burden to men, but they must bear it. It's a source of frustration for women, but they must refuse to grasp onto it. And before we leave this, I want to do two things real quick, and I'll make this fast. I want to throw two fits. I reserve the right once in a while as a preacher to throw a fit. I'm going to throw a fit. Number one. If I hear one more person saying this to me, I've had this in conversations, but it's not really to me most of the time. I read it in the literature. We who hold this position of male spiritual leadership, let's say, will treat women like second-class citizens. I would not have done it the way God did. That's true. And I can't tell you the number of times I've turned red and felt embarrassed by holding this position. I'm more often around people who think that we should have wider roles this way. We should change this a little more. And I get it and I feel it because our culture is leading that way and because, because of different things. And it's not just that. They are good, wise people I respect. And yet they'll look and they'll still say that. I've never viewed the role of women disrespectfully. And I don't know many churches that have. Now, you can caricature it that way because we disagree with others. But I don't know many churches that don't know this truth. You take the women out and we're in deep trouble. I'll say that again. We take the women out and we're in deep trouble. We take the women out and we're in deep trouble. It's true. 
I don't, I, don't, I don't feel, and I feel this, and I know this, and I, I have no idea how a church would function without it. I've had a lot of people I admire a lot and learned a lot of spiritual things from, but, but number one and number two are my grandmother and my mother, and the role they played was never a sermon. It was never up front in public. They never expected it to be. They never wanted it to be, and I will never, ever outlive those two as the greatest obligation of debt I'll ever have. Is that true of you? That's what Paul says of Timothy, if it weren't for your mother and your grandmother. Don't tell me, do not tell me that teaching kids in the classroom is not a big deal. Ooh, there's another fit. Let me make it number three. There's a lane for men, a lane for women, and we've seen what happens when we get in the wrong ones. But let me tell you, as, and I seriously do, I, I I just get timid, I just get a little bashful, I just get a little bit in, just intimidated when this issue comes up and I have to stand and say I still believe in male spiritual leadership and, and I just I find myself backtracking. But listen, if it is God's way, and I believe it is, we must never back up and give up this ground. We can't. Second fit, why are women given such a lackluster role, a raw deal, and that's just such a lie too. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy as he wrapped up that section. She'll be safe through childbearing if they continue in faith and holiness and self-control. I'm not saying that you have to have children to be saved. I'm saying that role is so unique and absolutely unique to the woman that it becomes a shorthand for the things that she brings. People will tell you this verse is very hard to understand. It's not. It's hard to accept, but it's not hard to understand. There's a different role for men than for women, and any way you look at it has to be that way. You see it in so many different places, mostly in a narrative form. But there is nothing lackluster or insignificant or secondary or unimportant about the role that God gave women. I'd be careful to ever, never even think such a thing. When a woman honors God's design for them, they're being godly, they're being obedient, they're being holy. When a woman refuses to regard highly God's design for the sake of just going out there in culture and being accolade, uh, receiving accolades from the world, she doesn't honor God and she actually, she actually glorifies something other than God. There are a lot of you in here who work outside the home and there's nothing wrong with that. I know that's a rage for some people. I also know there's some of you in here who have chosen to stay at home with your kids, you ladies, and you will get bashed. You'll get ridiculed and not from men. You'll get made fun of. You won't get to buy all the stuff other people do. It's not a real high-valued thing today. It's like women are looking around. We're losing ground because you're not being part of our argument for liberating this, throwing off the shackles and the mantles of this. And I want you ladies who know, to, to know that when you do that, you don't have to. Do not go out of here and say, I say you have to. Those of you who choose to do that, God bless you. Even today, I'll... Here, Melissa, say this every once in a while. She went back to work at school after raising the kids up to the time they went to school. 
And she looks at me every once in a while and says, you know, I could retire right now if I hadn't done that. It's one of the greatest sources of pride I've got. I don't want to end on a fit, so here we go. There's a lane. Men, get in your lane. There's a lane. Women, get in your lane. In Genesis 3, there were two lanes, and there was a stop sign. The woman looked at that tree. Satan painted her mind a picture if you'll run the stop sign you will be so fulfilled this will be this will lead you to fulfillment and this will lead you this is what you really want God's holding back something from run the stop sign she does and so does he and the rest of the world has been a mess ever since and I'm telling you today listen there's a lane for her and a lane for him and there is a stop sign there's a stop sign right here somewhere And we're sitting here looking at it, and the time is coming where people are saying, and we're hearing it all around us, run it! Run that stop sign. It'll be more fulfilling for you. Don't let anything restrain you. Don't let anything hold you back. Run the stop sign. You'll be more fulfilled. And people are doing it. My question for you, are you going to run this stop sign? It's there. You know what happened the first time. You really want to go through this again? Men, be men. Let the ladies be all there to be in the eyes of God as women. And it's just not possible for them if you won't rise up and be men of God. This is just one area of submission I don't understand. When you come to God, you you submit to him and you say your will is going to be the thing. That's what repentance means. I'm going to let your will determine everything. And listen, when you come, you you, you confess your sins. You say the name of Jesus. You're immersed in the waters of baptism. You may not understand why all that's important. You just know that it is. That's just the beginning of submission and obeying things you don't understand. That's just the beginning. It's a posture that you attain for all of life. And this is one of those areas where I bow and say, God, I don't understand it, but I'll honor this. And may we all do the same in the areas of our life we're being convicted of this. If you need to respond this morning, the invitation is open as we stand and as we sing. I need thee every hour, most